Hey guys, my name is Michael Chernow, chef and restaurateur, and this is The Breakdown. My background in the restaurant industry goes deep. I've worked in restaurants my whole life, pretty much. I've worked every single position in a restaurant, front of house, back of house. There's really nothing I have not done. Food, hospitality is part of my DNA. Today, we will begin by learning to boil eggs. Let's talk about this for a second. So I remember very clearly first couple days in culinary school. Now I went to the French Culinary Institute and it was a no joke school. Just hearing that, just like the lesson from someone who's insanely passionate about cooking that's French, it's like burned into your brain. But you are not an advanced cook. But I do know how to boil an egg. So let's pause right here. So this is another thing that's, that's sort of happened over time. So many people are going to culinary school today and they think that when they graduate culinary school, like, they're a chef. Most people actually, I guarantee you, I mean, maybe some of you guys know how to boil an egg, but if I said, hey, soft boil me an egg, I would argue that none of you would be able to do it. <laughs> Boiling an egg properly is definitely a skill set that you must learn. This is another great thing that I think is super duper important for people to know. If you don't sharpen your knives regularly, you run a much higher risk of cutting yourself because you want your knife to be able to go through something very quickly. And that's something that they'll teach you in culinary school in intensely. There's also a bunch of people that don't go to culinary school that just work in the field and learn the hard way. And most people in a kitchen will, will actually wait for you to cut yourself to like show you how to properly sharpen your knives. It's not important to cut an onion quickly. When you understand how to cut something, and typically even some of these guys here are running it a, a little close, like you want the blade of the knife to be running on this part of your finger. They're holding it like this. So if you hold it like this and you're not really good, boom, you, cut, you run the risk of just cutting the tip of your finger off. As the onion gets smaller, you need to hold it like this to hold it in place. But I typically cut like this. So like, there's no chance of me cutting the tips of my fingers. I bend these fingers back. But you want every single piece to be exactly the same size. It's super duper important, especially in a fine dining establishment, or you get the shit kicked out of you. <laughs> I think in culinary school, if you had that many onions on your station, you get assassinated. <laughs> they wouldn't allow for that to happen. If you have three onions, they're in a bowl. If you cut those onions in half, those halved onions are in a bowl. The only thing that's on your cutting board is the onion that you're cutting and the pieces that you've already cut. Everything is like super organized, super clean. I actually learned that stuff at culinary school. You know, that's the stuff that, that really helps you to be successful. As, as a cook or a chef. Culinary school today is a little bit different. You know, there's a lot more people. But I would say in terms of like the demeanor of the chefs and the, and the teachers, it's very similar. There's like no nonsense. And this guy was very polite with her. Chef's hat, for sure, that's what the chef's instructors wore at culinary school. That is accurate. He's wearing a lab coat. Most chef's coats are double-breasted. Like the guy on the left here, that looks like a typical chef's coat. The guy, his chef's coat looks like maybe just a super old school chef's coat. Also, just to be real, you would never ever 
be allowed to be in a kitchen in culinary school without a hat on. That's like the biggest no-no of all time ever. Like you get a hair in your food and it's just game over. All right, next up, cook up a storm. So basically what that thing does is it offers a little bit of sharpening, but ultimately it makes the blade super straight. When you're cutting things, the blade gets these little nicks in them and ultimately those nicks become dull. And so what this is doing is it's, it's just sharpening the blade. Filleting a fish is not easy. A knife that you use to fillet a big fish like that is very heavy. The blade itself is very, very heavy, so it can lay down on the bones and actually cut through with weight down on the bone so it doesn't lift up. So a, a super sharp, heavy, heavy, heavy knife is typically what the Japanese use for, for, for cutting knives, for filleting knives. But when he's running his finger across the, the salmon, he's actually looking for pin bones. And those bones are a pain in the ass um, you see that, that bone that just popped up? Inexperienced people that are working with fish don't know that those bones exist because they're not right there in front of you. They actually sit just below the flesh, but they're short, like this long, and they're incredibly hard for the most part. All fish have them, but in a bigger fish, they're hard. And if, some, if you don't pull those out, big trouble. Like bone in the, in the gum, trouble. Not good. And he's probably gonna pull out a tweezer and start, oh, there he goes. Wow, look at that. I don't know, I've never seen anybody pull pin bones out like that. They're actually pretty hard to pull out and they don't just dip out like that. So maybe that guy's got some serious superhuman talents. You know, I've actually never seen a cross-cutting technique like that and done the way he did it. So it looks pretty incredible though. I gotta say, like that is, that dude has got some swagger. There's no doubt, I mean, it's awesome, it's, it's awesome. Let's fast forward to the kitchen. So he looks like he's working with some Wagyu beef there. Wagyu is incredibly fatty marbled meat. It originated in Japan, this Wagyu beef technique. They massage the cows, they feed the cows, the cows Guinness beer. The cows are treated literally like royalty. And if you've never had Wagyu, it's an experience. This is Japan A5 Hanyu. Do you know how to do it? Fifty-seven degrees Fahrenheit. Not much. So sous vide is a style of cooking. We basically take a piece of meat, piece of chicken, piece of fish, piece of beef, piece of pork, and you put it in this plastic bag. You drop it in the cryovac. It sort of seals it, and then you put the you put the protein into this water bath. You can cook it the perfect temperature, and it could cook for forty-eight hours but it'll stay the same temperature. You get a similar sort of texture with, with any piece of protein when you sous vide it. That looks very, very good. What creates fire typically? When there's hot oil and water, it makes a big boom. Similarly, wine also will spark fire. Alcohol makes fire. Rice wine vinegar will create something like that. Basically what they have here is what we call cooking sweets. They're very expensive, but they're, it's typically a, 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 a huge 
oven or a huge oven with a big range across and there's, there's typically a number of different stations on top of it. In a fine dining establishment, there's a number of different components that go into every single dish and there's different cooks that are cooking specific things for each dish. So if you have them all in one area and they're all able to sort of communicate with each other around this cooking suite, it makes life a little bit easier. Yeah, so like what he just did there, like he cut that with a paring knife, that would never happen. You would not use a paring knife to cut a piece of meat to plate. You would definitely 100% use your chef's knife. Everything else looked legit until I, until I saw that. So now he's doing a little smoking technique. So he's gonna put that on and he's gonna blow smoke in there to, uh, to give that a smoky flavor, to give that dish a smoky flavor. Cook up a storm, it's definitely exaggerated. I mean, it's the, the drama's there. It's cool, I'm into it. But, you know, you would never cut a piece of beautiful meat like that with a paring knife. All right, guys, we're about to throw on burnt. Okay, so just off the bat, this is intense. There's no doubt about it. And like, when a restaurant of this stature is full throttle, Friday night, eight o'clock, there's 120 covers in the dining room, there is a level of intensity for sure. However, typically, this looks a little chaotic. Typically when you look into a kitchen of that stature, it is completely organized. So that feels like an intense moment and there's definitely intense moments, but they exaggerate this a bit. The chef of the restaurant will always, you know, walk over and look over somebody's shoulder and if you see something that's not being done the way he wants it done, he will sometimes just push you out of the way and take it over or tell you in either a nice or not so nice way how to do it the way he wants you to do it. Like a chef like this is looking at every single dish that's coming out of the kitchen as a piece of art and they take it that seriously. And so you can imagine the level of stress that, that is on chefs like that. Let's just say they do 100 to, you know, 100 to two cover, 100 covers a night. When I say covers, I mean people. 100 people a night, let's just say 100 people. You know, and, and, and it's a fine dining restaurant where there's five or seven courses or whatever it is. That's 500 dishes coming out of the restaurant a night. Every single one of them needs to be precisely perfect. And if it's not, it doesn't go out. And if it goes out and it gets sent back, not fun. You are looking at that all the time. Yeah. You have eyes on the whole time, so you have to pass. Yes, chef. Yeah. Look at me. Yeah. Yes, chef. Jump yes, chef. That right there is a moment that I think is incredible, right? Like that is he he did that so well. If a chef gives you that moment right there where he said, "Look at me in the eyes," and is not gonna like annihilate you, that is a chef saying, "I like you. I think you're awesome." I'm trying to mentor you. This is, this is, th that, that is a good thing. That's a good thing. Sweetie. So that right there, if someone saw you do that in the kitchen, which she just did, nightmare, trouble for you. You have a tasting spoon in a kitchen like that, always. I mean, that shit happens all the time, just to be honest with you, like that's the truth. But I mean, it's nasty. 
And so that's why you always have a tasting spoon on you. So if you're going to taste something, you have a spoon that you taste, and then you throw it, you know, you, 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 you run it under some water, and you put it back in your pocket. What's your name again? My name. Next time you make cuts, you toast the pepper first, remove the moisture, and then you want to grind it by hand, yeah? Let's see that one again. So she just took her spoon, tasted, and then put it right back in the dish. If I see that, you know, it doesn't go over well. So I think what's happening here is he is her mentor. And in the world of restaurants, once someone is your mentor, they're always your mentor. It's never like, oh, you've come up and now you're doing your thing and you're, and you're everywhere and you're like on my level. It just, that's just not the way it goes. My mentor is a guy, a guy named Frank Prisanzano. He's a, he was the, my boss before I opened up Seymour's. And he still is my mentor. And he'll come into any one of my restaurants and break my balls about everything. A peu plus aussi, hein? Pourquoi pas? American? Yeah. Yeah, arrogant prick. The typical chef has a massive ego and are very type A. That's classic. Male, female, doesn't matter. There's very few things that get that are as intimate as, as preparing something that's going into somebody's body. When you look at the, the role of a chef who's in control of feeding hundreds of people a day, thousands of people a week, it's a very, very serious responsibility, right? Like you're putting food in people's, in people's bodies. I mean, we don't really think about it that way on a regular basis, but it's true, you know, and it's for real. And so when you're trying to be the best at that, it comes with baggage. Michelin sends its inspectors to restaurants to eat and award stars. One, two, three. Or none. I'll just stop here and say, like, the world of Michelin star restaurants, it is the top of the top of the top, the most elite. And, like, there are definitely restaurants today that have Michelin stars that you're like, Michelin star? That diner? Really? But if you have a Michelin star, it is because you actively have pursued one. It doesn't just happen. The level of intensity that one would have to endure to gun for a Michelin star or two or three, forget anything else in your life. If you're going for three Michelin stars, it is because you live, eat, sleep in your restaurant. All right, guys, we're gonna move on to Chef. I've been waiting to talk to this prick for a long time. Okay. I am not cloying, I am not needy, I don't care what you think, you're not getting to me. I'm not needy. This is obviously a scene where a food critic walks into Jean Favreau's restaurant, who's given him a terrible review, and now he's back for food. And I think Chef is approaching him. You'd have to be drunk, really angry. You know, pros, super high-level reviewers that are writing for the Times or something like that, definitely know what they're talking about. But, you know, sometimes I'm like, you don't have to go, you don't have to do that, you know? However, today with Instagram and you know, like every single dish that comes out of every single restaurant is walking into a photo shoot. That is just the way it goes. Like today, everybody's a critic. It sucks. Everybody has different palettes, and you know, you just got to be prepared for that. I've never seen anything quite like this before. Like this is so dramatic. I don't think that it would necessarily happen. Although I'm sure at some point it has. It wouldn't be good. 
if a reviewer is coming into your restaurant, a super high level reviewer is coming into your restaurant, it is because your restaurant is at a standard that would warrant somebody to walk in and review your restaurant. And typically a chef that's cooking at that level does not want to have a long-standing bad relationship with restaurant reviewers. So he probably or she probably would not address someone like that if they gave a shit about their career long-term. I don't think a chef would be going after a critic the way he is going after a critic because that's just like death by suicide. <laughs> you know, like you just don't go head on with a critic before you deal with it. It sucks. You take it and you pray to God that they come back in so you can wow the shit out of them and in your heart of hearts you know that you f***ing hate that person. But, like, you can't attack them. We're gonna fast forward a little bit. So now suddenly you're gonna be an artist. Well, be an artist on your own time. Oof, man, this hits me like right in the gut. The restaurant business is such a f***ing hard business, man. It's like, you, you, it's like, this conversation that they're having right now is so typical. There's so many different ways kitchens are run. If it's a chef owner, there's no shot that the front of house manager has precedence over a chef owner. Ideally, in most, in, in most scenarios, the general manager and the chef of the restaurant are in cahoots and they have a great working relationship. And so, though these fights happen, but this conversation wouldn't happen between a chef and a manager. This would be a chef and an owner. Next up, one of my favorites, Ratatouille. What is this? Keep your station clear. What will happen? Let the station slow things down. Food doesn't go, orders pile up, disaster. So, I mean, obviously he does not know what he's doing. He's got a huge stock pot sitting on his station. That would never be okay. Like, you have bowls set up for uncut vegetables, cut vegetables, and, and then peels, like onion peels or something like that. So like you have like your, your trimmings, your uncuts, and your cuts, and you would never have a stock pot sitting right on your station like that. That's probably why she just flipped out. This and cooking is a cute job, eh? Like mommy in the kitchen. Yeah, that's pretty on point, I gotta say. Like, a, like an old school, beautiful French kitchen setup. I mean, that's a beautiful kitchen. I love this movie. You would never pour boiling anything into another pot with boiling anything because you'd burn yourself, you know, like, and you typically would not hold the pan handle without a towel, you know, on your hand because you'd most likely burn yourself, specifically if you're dealing with copper pots that get super hot. And then you also wouldn't stack your pots on top of each other on the station because you'd get screamed at like she's about to do right now. I'll make this easy to remember. Keep your station clear or I will kill you. When your station's a mess, everything becomes a mess. It's like, you know, like they say the, the age old saying, like you walk into a restaurant and if the bathroom is a mess, the bathroom's like dirty. You can only imagine what the kitchen's like. It's the same thing with a cook. If a cook's station's all messed up and it just looks like there's no order, you just kind of know it's not, it's not happening. It's not gonna work. Ugh, your sleeves look like you threw up on them. Keep your hands and arms in, close to the body, like this, see? I think that that's pretty much saying, like, you wanna keep everything tight, clean, efficient. You don't want your elbows sitting on your station so you get them all dirty, like she was talking about before. You don't wanna be dirty. You gotta be organized, you know, and that's what she's trying to do. That's what every, like, that's what all these clips, it's all about trying to be organized. I gotta say that like, actually now like looking at this cartoon, 
they did an incredible job of really making a kitchen feel like a kitchen. I mean, even to the dish station. So that's the dish machine right there. Like, it's perfect. The whole entire setup and the line there and the dish, that's called the dish pit. It could not be more accurate. Remember what I said about having different bowls for mise en place? So like, you know, they're not peeling their potatoes onto their cutting board. They're peeling their potatoes into those bowls. So it's nice and neat and clean. They have their peeled potatoes in that container. They have their unpeeled potatoes in the other container. They're peeling into the bowl. It's pretty on point. Guys, thanks so much for watching me break down these awesome, classic cooking clips. Power off. <laughs>